Money FM 89.3, best of prime time. Market View on Money FM 89.3. You're listening to Money FM 89.3. I'm Chua Tian Tian with your Market View. Now, global markets seem to be taking comfort in Fed Chair Jerome Powell's balanced tone uh, with regards to further interest rate hikes. Now, following that comment by Powell, we have more economic data, including initial jobless claims and personal income figures out of the U.S. last night. So question is, to what extent do the data releases support the case for the central bank to tone down its pace of interest rate hikes? And also away from the U.S., November turned out to be the best month for Asian stocks in nearly 30 years, but yet private surveys uh, showed factory output slumped for the month. Why the discrepancy here? Now, for more, let's speak to Azim Sharif, market analyst, CMC Markets, APEC and Canada. Hi, Azim, how are you? Hi, I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Great, and always great to have you on the show. So, uh, Azim, maybe let's start with the US. Markets seem to be taking comfort in the Fed's uh, balanced tone with regards to interest rate hikes. But after that comment, we have some initial data claims and personal income data out last night. To what extent... Uh, do the data releases build up the case for the Fed to sort of take the foot off the pedal? Yeah, so look, a very good question. I, I guess from yeah, from what Fed Powell basically said, he he did have a, a less hawkish tone. Basically, he said, yeah, look, you know, we we do have a few more rate hikes to come about, um, and the and you know, but it may not be as bad as initially thought. Markets reacted very positively to that, you know. Um, but the thing is, uh, it was all pretty much expected but they still reacted very positively, which is quite interesting, um, you know? So, but I, I guess that the rhetoric stays the same, higher for longer, uh, how high, how long, I'm not too sure, but that's that's generally what he's suggesting. But, you know, but like you, uh, like you said, Tian Tian, just rightly so, the, the leading indicators may show potential signs of uh, inflation cooling down. You know, like you said, initial jobless claims came in at about uh, 225,000, just, down from 235,000, so less uh, 10,000 from previous reading. Um, and it showed positive signs, and uh, which basically means, you know, less people are filing for benefits, which obviously shows that the labor market still remains very tight. Uh, and, and also with the personal spending as well, you know, we had the PCE, uh, which is the Fed's core measure of, um, sorry, preferred measure of inflation. That came out about 0.2% higher. The estimated was around 0.3%, and the previous was 0.5%. So it's decreasing in the pace, uh, and that's pretty much what we want to see. Um, but the main thing to be aware is that this is only one data point. It, it doesn't form a trend. Uh, so yes, although you know markets do react optimistically to this, um, it is just one data point. So we do want to see consistency over the next few months for us to actually say, yeah, inflation is actually starting to cool down. Mm. And before we look to the next few months, let's look to the non-farm payrolls report out tonight. Economists surveyed by Dow Jones estimate the economy to have added some 200,000 jobs in November, which is down from 261,000 additions the previous month. For yourself, what are your expectations for now? Look, I have to agree that we we should be expecting or possibly be expecting the job numbers to come down. Uh, you know, the general macro environment is, as you probably know, is a lot of tech companies are just laying off staff just just like that. Uh, so that's obviously a recurring theme that we're seeing in tech companies. And, you know, tech companies are always the first to cut down their cost. But that also has a flow on effect to a lot of the other companies as well. So that's what we're seeing. And because of that, we will we possibly will see the job numbers drop. 
and we may see the unemployment rate start to tick up. So the expected is is 200,000, um, and the previous was 261,000. So already there, the expectation is much lower than than last uh, last reading as well. Uh, and again, like like I said, you know, this will this would have a flow on effect from the higher rates, you know, and it'll happen to the rest of the market from these tech companies, you know, to maybe government agencies or just general white collar, um, uh, I guess, workers as well. Mm -hmm. And we will probably see the bulk of the labor market getting hit potentially or that unemployment rise significantly rising maybe early next year uh, as those rate rises in, or the impact of those rate rises start to kick in. Uh, right. Because that higher for longer uh, rhetoric would start to play. And again, a lot of companies are already struggling with higher rates. So we may start to see that domino effect start in 2023. It's going to be a pretty big year. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, this is a loaded question here. One is about interest rates uh, peaking. Where do you see rates peaking for now? The second question is that some market analysts, they say bets on rates topping 5% were fading and uh, the advance in markets that we see right now, it could push into the new year with a potential bull rally. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, there's a lot of chatter around, you know, where the terminal rate is or the restrictive rate. That's what they want to call it. So, you know, we do have the FOMC meeting, uh, I believe it's on the 14th of December, and then the next one will be Feb. So there's a couple of months there. And, you know, we've had about four 75 basis point hikes already. They're talking about bringing it down to 50, following a lot of other central banks. So currently we're sitting at about 375 to 4%. So, you know, we're pretty much only 1% off from that terminal rate. So that's, that's two uh, 50 basis point hikes. So my personal view is that I still think the 5% is quite reasonable. It's, it sounds uh, reasonable to be restrictive um, and, you know, potentially leave it there for maybe a few months to see inflation meaningfully come down. Uh, and again, that's only two 50 basis point hikes away. So that could be over the next two meetings, pause for a little bit, wait for like maybe four or five months to see those CPR numbers come down and then potentially think about, you know, uh, rates getting cut. But I don't believe it may the, the the rate cutting will probably happen next year. I reckon it may happen very early 2024 because we're still sitting at about seven you know percent plus in inflation. But you know I, I think the markets are generally quite aggressive when they um, when they price the these rate hikes. But I think as we get more data, they start to realize that inflation may be uh, getting a lot better than expected, and then that pricing will be less aggressive. But I think 5% is a, a good restrictive rate to leave um, the, the Fed funds rate on hold for, for quite a bit of time. Right. And before we move away from the US, Azim, I'd like to take a look at what's happening between Elon Musk and Apple. So Elon Musk earlier tried to pick a fight uh, with uh, Tim Cook over issues such as Apple's 30% cut on sales made through the Twitter app and content moderation. Meta's Mark Zuckerberg also chimed in as well on App Store policies. But just yesterday, uh, out of the sudden, we saw tensions easing between Musk and Cook. Uh, any guess as to what exactly is going on between the parties in private? Yeah, this is quite interesting. I was following this um, over the last few days and, you know, Elon loves to to poke the bear and uh, he definitely did poke the bear <laughs> so it, it's I, I mean they the, the short story is they've sorted out their differences now which is great uh, but it's interesting to see what actually happened so basically the story is musk had this uh perspective or, or misconception that apple actually removed or wanted to remove twitter from their apple store uh which obviously caused musk to retaliate and it basically, you know, it, it made him say, oh, you know, I don't need any other app stores. I'm just going to build my own phone where I can have Twitter. That's kind of where it started. 
Uh, and the reason for that is Apple actually charge a 30% commission uh, from their revenue made on, on those app sales and, and whatnot, you know, as, as a cost. And that's pretty much been the standard for all the apps, right? Um, but that also raised a few concerns with a lot of other parties as well in terms of the app store policies. And this is where Zuck came into play. Zuck basically, or Zuckerberg, he basically came in and said, uh, you know, it is problematic that one company controls what happens on the device. I mean, the app store is owned by Apple. So, you know, they should kind of have some sort of control. But the good thing is this is where it all got resolved. Um, Mr. Cook actually invited uh, Musk, uh, uh, Elon over to headquarters, Apple headquarters, you know, and, and they basically had a nice cup of tea and they discussed it. And uh, and basically, Mr. Cook said, hey, look, you know, we were never going to remove Twitter from the Apple store. And then after that, the, the funny thing is uh, Tim Cook, he actually followed Elon Musk. He's only got some <laughs> 70. He, I think he had like 68 followers and it went to 69 mm -hmm. followers because he started following Musk. So a bit of tension there, but it looks like they're best of friends now. And, you know, it's good to see when two, you know, huge CEOs or two big titans battle it out. Um, and of course, all the commentary and, and assumptions that follow from it. But I mean, it's all sorted now, but it was quite interesting. What I'm more interested about is exactly what's going on behind the scenes, isn't it? That, that uh, people like us probably wouldn't know at this point. Well, if you're just tuning in, we're now speaking to Azim Sharif, market analyst at CMC Markets, APEC and Canada. Well, Azim, let's turn our attention to look at Asia. Private surveys showed a factory output slumped widely across Asia. But despite that, November turned out to be the best month for Asian stocks since 1993. Help us understand why the difference. Yeah, so I think the two key surveys or the two key readings that I wanted to look at was the Japanese and the Chinese manufacturing PMI. And just for our listeners as well, basically these manufacturing PMIs, they, they're a leading indicator of economic health. Uh, businesses basically react to market conditions and the purchasing managers, uh, basically it gives us insights and, and a view of how the economy is responding, you know, in terms of business conditions, employment, production, you know, anything manufacturing related. So it's a good indication as to how the economy is going. Now, the Japanese PMI actually entered into contraction territory. So anything below a reading of 50 is contraction territory. So that's not, that's, that's negative. Uh, and it, I, I believe the, the, the release came in at about 49 uh, as the number. The previous was 50.7, so it was just above neutral, but now it's 49, so in, in contractionary territory. And this is the first time since January 2021, so that's showing Japanese manufacturing is starting to slow down, and that's obviously not too positive because global trade is getting affected in general. China, on the other hand, was slightly higher. It ended up on 49.4 as opposed to previously 49.2, but it is still in contractionary territory, a little bit better, but still contractionary territory. And uh, it's no news, uh, no major news that, you know, China's obviously having their own issues at the moment in terms of zero COVID. And, you know, that's obviously having a, a hindrance on um, global trade and, and Chinese trade as well. But that is pretty much why uh, those numbers are, are fairly weak and, and both are in still contraction territory. But it, it just goes to show that the manufacturing industry is finding it tough to grow at this stage. And, you know, but again, that Chinese uh, China zero COVID stories is very key to global trade and, and how that uh, turns out over the next few months. Hmm. But any reason as to why November turned out to be the best month for Asian stocks since 1993? Is it a, a case of markets not reacting to this piece of information yet? 
It's a very good question. So, look, Asian stocks did jump quite a lot. I believe the Hang Seng was probably the best index. It jumped at about 25% during just, just that one month of November, which is quite phenomenal. And look, the, the main story behind it is because, uh, you know, the, the, the positive signs coming out of China that they may uh, exit the zero COVID policy or at, le- at the very least reduce the, the severity of that zero COVID policy, especially with the quarantine restrictions. Um, and of course, the, the positive news coming out of the, the Chinese property sector as well, you know, with banks potentially offering funding and Evergrande getting their uh, restructuring plan adjourned. Um, and the other reason, of course, is, is the positive news coming out of the Fed in terms of the slowdown of the pace of tightening. And that obviously added a lot of optimism towards global markets. Now, we already knew that the Fed was going to slow down. So hence why that was probably priced in from the start of November. But again, that just got boosted when the Fed actually mentioned it, you know, via, or Fed Powell mentioned it, you know, during the speech. Um, I guess the expectation is that, you know, China will probably exit this zero COVID policy early next year. Those are the rumors. Um, and of course, that's pretty much going to add a lot of optimism to global markets. And I believe we're pretty much at the beginning stage of exiting that zero COVID policy. So we're going to be entering a new phase potentially early next year. And uh, finally, one quick question, uh, Azim. I only have about 30 seconds left before we go. I want to wrap up by looking ahead. The Reserve Bank of Australia and Bank of Canada set to announce their rate decision uh, later next week. What are your expectations so far? So just very quickly, RBA expected to raise their rates by 25 basis points for the second time. Uh, and Bank of Canada is expected to raise their rates by 0.5 again for the second time. So these two central banks are actually leading globally in terms of slowing down the pace of tightening. So again, because they're leading, we expect a lot of central banks to follow. But again, uh, these two economies are very different to the rest of the world. But but these banks are basically showing us how to do it properly. All right. Thank you very much, Azim. Always a pleasure chatting. That was Azim Sharif, Market Analyst, CMC Markets, APEC and Canada. Thank you very much for joining us on Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation and risk tolerance.